Thank you, Lord. For giving us this opportunity to be in your presence again this evening. We're about to hear your word. We pray that the understanding that comes from this word will rest upon our hearts. And produce the countenance of your glory upon our face. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Say Amen. I can hear you say loud Amen. amen. Turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 24. The theme of this meeting as we will be looking into it gradually is taken from Matthew 24 and in verse 13. But we are going to read through from verse 1 and stop either in verse um, 15, 16 or 17 as the case may be. So turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 24. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And the disciples came to him for to show him the building of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat, sat upon the Mount Olives, his disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, what shall these things be? When shall these things be? And when shall be the sign of the coming of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceives you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, so that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nations, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famine and pestilence and earthquake in diverse places. All this are the beginning of sorrow. Then, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end the same shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. Verse 15. When ye therefore shall see abominations of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso read, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea, flee to the mountains, and let him which is on the top, on the house top, come down and take anything out of the house. Praise the name of the Lord. We are dealing with a topic that says, But he that shall endure to the end. This was a conversation going on with, between Jesus Christ and his disciples. And today, I, because it's 
I have three sections of, of expositions to do. Today I will try to dwell more on the historic background of this portion of scripture. I'll try to tell you some things about the fulfillment of this scripture in history. Not contemporary history, but in ancient history. The essence of it is that I know clearly that the 21st century church is a church that has either little or no knowledge about what the Lord has done in the time past in history. And let me begin by challenging any of you that wants to grow as, as a formidable youth in the hand of the Lord in this end time. You must go and sit down and go and read, study what the Lord has done in the church in centuries past. Not just for the purpose of reading exercise, but for you to understand the trend of the deception and the conspiracy of the devil. It was Zero, one of the historians, that said that whoever will not learn from history will forever remain a child. That is to say, if you don't know what happened in the past and cannot analyze it to begin to interpret the present, you can never be relevant for the future. Did you hear what I said now? And many of you, you should have writing materials in your hand to take down notes as I discuss. This evening, I want to give you a historic background of what Jesus Christ started discussing with his disciples. Anytime Jesus is speaking, hear me, Jesus is unique in the way he presents his discussions. Jesus is unique. The uniqueness of Christ in, in discussions is so deep that it will take the help of the Holy Spirit to understand. The reason is because he is God and Lord of all. And so he is God of the past, the present, and the future. So most times in the gospel narratives, when Jesus is talking about the present, in that same present conversation, he's referring to the past, he's referring to the present, and he's also referring to the future. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Today is introduction. I want to give you a strong background. Whenever you hear Jesus talk or read about Jesus' statements in the gospels, whether they are parables or they are narratives, or sermons that he delivered on the mount, always have it at the back of your mind that Jesus was talking to a people at that moment and was talking about a people to come, which could be us or a next generation. Are you understanding what I'm trying to say now? And so, with that, you can always have an understanding that every statement that Jesus made had, had a current application and a future implication. So, the disciples of Jesus from Matthew 24, where we read, they had just come out of the temple. Some things had happened, which I will not go into it in details. But a few things have happened, like the, 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 the preparation, the messages, he has, the, the, the messages he gave on about resurrection. He gave them, about, he, he gave them parables, like, like um, the ones that, that, that showed the kingdom of God, parables that describe the kingdom. Jesus had taught a lot of things. And even the Pharisees and the scribes had heard him and many of them were not happy with him. 
And so when they came out of the temple in that during that holy week season, this was already like the holy week period. You know what you know what to call holy week, right? You're all Anglicans, I believe, right? Now that's 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 the week we have in our church season between Monday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday. That's what we call the Holy Week. Now, it's the week that helps us to reflect and think about the mission of Jesus Christ for our redemption, which is coming to die upon the cross. Are you understanding me now? So from that week, the Monday of it, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we are taking time to go through scriptures to find out the spiritual meaning and implication of everything that Jesus Christ did within that week before his crucifixion. So this discussion was one of those issues that arose within the week soon. I mean, just before Jesus began to experience his own encounter of challenge of crucifixion. And so when they came out of the temple, Mark has the same account. Matthew has the same account. Luke rendered this account on a different perspective. But let us consider Mark's account. We may not read if I'm quoting just right because I will just quote and, and, and read it on my own. So you may just need to pen down. But it was like a conversation. And so the disciples, they looked at him and said, Teacher, look at how wonderful the stones of these temples look. Isn't this beautiful? This temple is magnificent. It was the temple of Jerusalem. And the Bible said that Jesus turned to them and said, Do you see this great building? As big as this building is, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. It's discouraging. The disciples were busy admiring the wonderful structure and building, magnificent building of the... And Jesus Christ just came with another issue that was discouraging. You see this, this temple? None of these stones will be left on top, on top of each other. Every one of them will be thrown down. And they were... The Bible said that they were still worried. And when they came to the private place, just like where we read, they came to him. Knowing that he has spoken so much of this about this calamity that was to come, calamity, calamity, death. I mean, this affliction, persecution. He just finished talking about teachings on his on on his resurrection. He gave them signals about his own death. So they were really sad. So they came to him privately, Master. When will all these things be? How are we going to know that this end is coming? And Jesus went ahead, while they were sitting on Mount Olives, and began to tell them about the end. But when he told them about the end, he began to give them certain pictures and features of things that, that, that will happen for them to begin to put their minds that the end is near. But like I told you, when Jesus told them about persecutions, told them about deaths, told them about destructions, war, pestilences and afflictions that will be rising you know, in quick succession, and that will not really be the end. But he, he told the disciples, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now he begins to ask, he brings a question to mind. What was the end Jesus was talking about? The end of Matthew chapter 24 verse 13 is called thalos. That word thalos means three different kinds of ends. So Jesus, by telling them, he that shall endure till the end. The word end there. Talos was talking about three different kinds of end. One was going to be the end of that temple. 
So Jesus was telling them that there are three things that, that, that was going to come to an end. And, and, and heaven will be expecting God's people to remain strong when those three ends will be happening. And the first end in Jesus' end expression was the destruction of the temple, the end of the temple. So Jesus told them that one of the ends that will be happening shortly is the end of this beautiful temple you are seeing. It will soon end. The second end that he was telling them that will come, soon come, was the end of the Jewish nation. That as a people, God in, in, in Exodus chapter 19 gave birth to a nation. Are you aware of that? Exodus 19. That was where the Jewish nation was born. God bethroated Israel. After they had come out of Egypt and they've gone through the waters of the Red Sea, which was like a baptism, and they came to the to, to Sinai Peninsula when they were at the base of the mountain. The Lord told them, Sanctify yourself, for I'm about to encounter you. Bible said that every one of them gathered. Moses instructed them, wait, three days of fasting and of prayer, wash your garments, keep yourself clean. The Lord is coming to encounter us. In that morning of encounter, that great day of encounter, the Lord came down upon the mountain. Everybody saw God in his glory. Bible said that the mountain was altogether in flames because the Lord had descended upon it. The grounds quaked. The mountains trembled. The grounds broke open. Fire was coming out from, 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 from within the ground. Every one of them were scared. Those that came close died. Those who were a little far away were scorched by the heat of the glory of God. And so they couldn't behold that glory. And God helped them to instruct Moses to set them be, 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 I mean, behind boundaries so that they wouldn't approach any further. And when Moses and the people were able to stay the, the dreaded nature of God's glory, God spoke to them. What was, what was he saying? Today, I have betrayed you as a nation. In Exodus 19, a nation was born. That nation that was born became the pride of the Jews, became the pride of the Pharisees, is the pride of the Sadducees, is the pride of the high priests. They are so proud of their nationality and their religion and their ceremonies that you can't bring anything called the fruit of the gospel anymore. And Jesus said to the disciples, very soon, that nation will come to an end. Are you following me? Are you following me? That nation will come to an end. And then the third end that Christ was referring to while he talks to his disciples, which I also knew from scripture, that his disciples didn't understand him, was an eschatological end that is yet to come. Which most of us will may witness or are already in the, in, in the experience of its events unfolding every day upon us which I'm going to deal with a little bit tomorrow for you to understand. And so, there is the end of the temple, there is the end of a nation, and there is the end of a world. The end of a church, the end of a nation, and the end of the world. Quickly, let me use that to give you an understanding that the fundamental, the fundamental pillar that can hold the world is the church. If the church falls, a nation will fall and the world will fall eventually. Are you listening to what I'm trying to say? And the church is not just this chapel you are seeing. You are the temple of the living God. Am I right? So you are that temple. If you fall as a temple, what do I mean? If the glory of the, of, of the temple, if the glory of God leaves your life or you lose that glory by reason of the kind of lifestyle you have chosen to live, then hear me. Everything around you that makes for your own world will collapse. 
it must collapse. If you can have your way now and be able to succeed in a few things because you are smart and you are in the 21st century world, it's only a process of time. No matter how smart you can be in this 21st century, outside of Christ, your world will soon come crashing down. So, from, from the world end that Jesus was saying, he was already speaking about three different issues that will run through the history of humanity and mankind. Now, the disciples only understood one. At, as at that point, the disciples only had understanding of one of the ends, and that was the temple. They didn't even know about the end of the nation, Jewish nation. Neither did they even think about the end of the world. And that was why, when they saw the events unfolding against the temple, they thought that the Messiah is at the door, and that he will soon come. As a matter of fact, even Apostle Paul thought that in his own waking eyes that he will see rapture. Are you understanding me? Because he said it, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be turned in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. They were so expectant that they felt that the return of Christ will happen within the, the, their own dispensation. But they didn't know what Jesus was talking about. That the first end, he was telling them that the end will come. Because he had already made an end of a discussion. And went on again to say that that was not the end. Did you see what we read? Did you see what we read? He came and said that these things will happen. Verse 6. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. So that you shall not be troubled. For all these things will come to pass. But what? But the end has not yet come. And so, he was making an end, but it was not yet the end. And so, I will see if I can deal with the first two ends, so that by tomorrow I will be dealing with the third end. And then I will begin, we'll begin to look into the things, the qualities, the factors. What is expected of you? When the Bible said endure, what does it mean? He that shall endure. The word endure. What are we talking about? It has so many connotations in scripture. That word endure to the Hebrew man means seven different things. It means seven different things. Just endure. And I'm going to explain that briefly. And so we're going, we're going to come into that when we begin to go deeper to explain. Praise the name of the Lord. And so, when Jesus gave them this clear description of the events of time, they never knew that it will start immediately. Because by AD 37, it started. And that was the same year that Jesus spoke to them. As a matter of fact, it was the same week that Jesus spoke to them that it started. The Bible said, I mean, history made it clear that the Lord Jesus Christ was finally arrested. They arrested him. He came to the Garden of Gethsemane and arrested him. Tried him with all kinds of trumped-up charges that had no basis. There were no evidences. But they, they accused him of treason, accused him of felony, accused him of trying to raise another, another government that was against the Roman government. 
he was trying to set up a government of his own. Those accusations could not be sustained even when they interrogated him. Everybody knew he was innocent. Even Pilate knew he was innocent. And while they discussed with Jesus, it seemed to me, when I studied the scripture, when I began to study about the experience that Jesus had after his arrest, you would discover that what they were saying was his offense was not really the, the meat. That was not really the problem. It seemed to me that the, the, very, the very matter that brought Jesus Christ face to face with the authority was the issue of the temple when he went in and overturned the tables of the money changers and drove them out. Actually, that was the main issue that provoked them to crucify him. But throughout the, throughout the court, court interrogations and the argument going on, nobody mentioned that case. Nobody talked about it. But that was, that was the bone of contention. Yet, nobody wanted to talk about it. Somehow they were playing around words, trying to find accusation. And Pontius Pilate as a then, it's a story you know, who was the Roman uh, 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 procurator, washed his hands. I mean, he, signed, he washed his hands in innocence. Talking about Matthew chapter 27 in verse 24. He actually washed his hands in innocence, but was he really innocent? He washed his hands in innocence, but still went on to sign Jesus' death warrant. Because as at that time, the Roman government was ruling over Jerusalem and was ruling over the Jews. So the Jews had no right to carry out any judgmental or consequential penalty on any man that has broken the law. Especially when it has to do with murder. Or when it has to do with crucifying the person or, the, or killing the person. They, they have no right. Except it is signed by the Jewish leader. Any offense that had the penalty of death, nobody had the right to carry it out. So, although he washed his hands in innocence, listen carefully, although he washed his hands in innocence publicly, and everybody saw him washing his hands in innocence, he finished washing his hands in innocence and went into the room, picked up a pen, and signed his death warrant. Does that tell us about the hypocrisy of today's church? What does that mean? Someone says hypocrites. What does that mean? I can't hear you. What does that mean? The same spirit of hypocrisy is what is crucifying and destroying the temple of God constantly. That will come publicly to feign innocence or even feign to be part of, of Jesus' work and Jesus' Jesus's kingdom, but go in the secret, pick up a pen, and sign his death warrant. It hurts the heart. And I look and I say, how could this be possible? Because by law, if he was actually saying he is innocent of Jesus' death, nobody can crucify him. It must take Pilate to pen down on a document that will warrant the crucifixion of a criminal. And that's the first thing I found out that happened in the beginning of the end that Jesus described. So, the first end which, which culminated to the falling of the temple, immediately Jesus finished telling the disciples that 
such an end is coming, the first events, the events that will precipitate into the first end, started. And what were the wheels? What were the factors? I mean, what were the forces upon which it rode? Number one was hypocrisy. And I'd like you to know, if it took hypocrisy to walk out the end of the first event, it will also take hypocrisy to walk out the end of the last event. Are you listening to me? Are you understand what I'm trying to say? So, you don't need to start asking God, what are you doing now? Can you reveal to me? I want to have a revelation of this season. Show me what will happen in Nigeria next year. You don't need all of that. Go back to scripture or go back to events that God has done and study them and see how the word of the Lord came to pass by the instrumentalities of men, both in their negative and positive contributions and begin to decide where you want to belong. Are you understanding me? For whether consciously or unconsciously, prophecies shall be fulfilled. Hello? Touch your neighbor. Touch your friend. Say, whether you are aware or not, prophecy will be fulfilled. And do you know one thing about it? Whether you are aware or not, you will be part of prophecy fulfillment. And most, most of the times, when you become ignorant of the trend of prophecy fulfillment, you become a victim of it. Are you listening to me? Whenever you become ignorant of the trend of prophetic fulfillment, you become a victim of it. Or you become the worst instrument for the fulfillment of that prophecy. And that is why the Bible says, study to show thyself approved. What? Who? A workman. Study to show thyself. Study to show thyself. So there are things to know. And you must ask the Lord to teach you that. In the, in the historic background, I'll be bringing out the principles for you to see. So, principle number one is hypocrisy. Betrayal of a faithful man. The betrayal of faithful men. It is, it is happening, and it is happening even now. In, the, in those days, many faithful men were, were betrayed. Christ was betrayed. Have you not seen it? That many are betrayed today, even in our, in our campuses and in our universities, and in our colleges and even in our schools. You dare to stand as a faithful youth and as a faithful daughter, a faithful son, and you want to reflect the glory of Christ in your institution, even in your school. Right there, sometimes, even the school itself will be the one that will betray you. Am I lying? Even the school system will betray you. Such that it will not look like the perpetrator of the crime is now the innocent one and the victim is now the guilty one. Are you understanding me? Are you understanding me? And so that's, that's the system. You need to understand the system that the world is running upon. It has not changed. What it was hundreds of centuries ago, that's what it is even now. It has not changed. Although the medium, the medium may have changed. Are you listening to me? The medium may have changed, but the system is unchanged. What was done in centuries back through oral tradition and literary tradition is happening now in an accentuated and destructive order through the media. So it is just the medium that changed. The system didn't change. Are you understanding what I'm trying to say? So it went on. The people decided to, to crucify Christ. And so at the end of the day, falsehood began to triumph. I mean, I mean, lies and falsehood, you could see how evil was triumphing over the good. 
a rented crowd. A rented crowd. If, if you've taken time to read through the experience of Christ, because that was the beginning of this end. That is the beginning of the end. A rented crowd gathered before the house of Pilate. And they were bribed. I mean, hardly, I mean they, they, they took bribes that could hardly meet to their basic needs. Bribes that could hardly meet to their basic need, they took and began to elect a notorious murderer. A notorious murderer. They elected him, named Barnabas, and they shouted that he is the one that should be granted freedom. Whereas a man that is poisoned with a desperate passion to change the destiny of man, they pointed him to be destroyed. Is such thing happening in our world today? I'm asking the questions. Is such thing happening in our world today? Is it happening in our democracy system today? Is it happening in politics? Is it happening in religion? Are you seeing it in religion? Yes. Sometimes I sit down and I fold my hands and I ask myself, how did this one make it to become a pastor? Who made him a who even made him a canon? Sorry with all due respect, I'm also a priest. But who made this man a priest? A criminal that is obvious. How did he come here? It is the people. Like a rented crowd that day, they shouted, Barabbas! Barabbas! A criminal notoriously known. But they, they, they elected him. And the one that was poisoned with passion. To change the destiny of man, they pointed him for destruction. Such is also the trend that you will see today. Does it not see, does it not seem so funny to you in our society now that, that the skeptically looking person and the obviously unbelieving young man, as a matter of fact, the notorious and worst youth. Is the one that is celebrated in our countries today. Does it not look does it not does it not look strange? And the reasonable and the noble one that has virtue, he's not celebrated. It's not a new thing. That's the principle. It's been running there. Many of you commented on WhatsApp and on Facebook, I believe, when they made that young man the winner of Big Brother Nigeria. What's his name? What's his name? Don't pretend like you are in church now. Talk. Oh yeah, what's his name? Efe. They made him the winner of Big Brother Nigeria. And what was the prize they gave him? One of them. Just mention money. One of them. What? 25 million. No, no, no. It was, it was more than 25 million. Was 50. Yes. 50 million. 50 million was given to him. Celebrated. He was displayed all over the world. All the, all the viable lifeline on the internet that you can visit that has high toll of visitors. He was there displayed as winner. Then several great nations where noble men traveled to, he was to be taken there. And many other gifts, am I right? Many other benefits. Many other benefits were given to him. And all of this was just because he spent 
months on public television spreading the spirit of immorality, going nude, and doing some of the worst things and despicable things of life. But the crowd celebrated him. <laughs> and somebody pasted something on WhatsApp and cried. And the first graduating students, <laughs> they, just, they, <laughs> they just brought one, one, big, uh, one big flex banner and wrote, uh, is it 10,000 naira or something? Did you see that thing? Yeah. But I found out it was not just the amount of money she won anyway. But then, you could see how 10,000 naira was displayed for being the best graduating. It doesn't know about you. Is it happening in our time? This is, this is the clear event. The same thing that marked the beginning of the end. In the beginning of the end, people will love, love evil and hate righteousness. Are you listening to me? They love evil and hate righteousness. Now look at it in your heart. Look at it in your heart. If there is a love for evil, such that you've battled, you've tried to battle it, you've tried to fight it, but it seems to be strong within you, just like Paul said in the book of Romans in chapter 17, I mean in chapter 7 and in verse 14, I know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. I'm sold like a slave to sin. I don't even understand what I'm doing. Because the right things I want to do, I cannot do. It is the evil things I don't want to do, I see myself doing. If I do the things I don't want to do, then it means that another law is at work within my members, holding me captive as a prisoner of, the, of, 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 of sin. If that's the situation, then you begin to understand that the power of the end is already upon you, and it needs to be broken. Are you listening to me this evening? You need to understand that the power of the end is already sitting upon you. Because one sign of your vindication, one sign of your liberty about the spirit of the end is that you will be like Christ. For the Bible says, because thou lovest righteousness and does what? And hates iniquity. Thy throne, O Lord, is forever. Do you know that song? Sing it. The scepter of thy kingdom is the right scepter. The Lord loves righteousness. And hated wickedness. He now said, Therefore God, thy God, has anointed thee with an oil of gladness above thy fellows. It's scripture. One sign in your heart is that you must hate iniquity. If you don't have it within you, then the wind of the end is already upon you. You are like one captured. There must be there, within the depths of your heart, a hatred for iniquity. You won't just want it. And let me tell you the truth. Whatever you hate, you'll find a way to avoid it. Do you agree with me? Anything you hate, you must look for a way to avoid it. Nobody will help you. You must find a way to escape it. Because the possible disposition within your spirit is that, is that you hate it. You don't like it. Now, there is no other way you can fight the spirit of the end until you come under that disposition. It must be a situation of the heart. That was why I started by telling you that when I look at the countenances of your faces, I start praying. I feel like praying for you. Because I told you that when, when Moses prayed and said, the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. And that one is a plural term. In Hebrew, there is no singular face. The word face is in plural. 
So it is faces. What does that mean? Different provisional graces and abilities of God encounter you. That was the prayer. But when Moses now said, and let the light of his countenance be gracious unto you. What Moses was saying was, let the joy of God's heart show on his face. So, countenance is not just your face. It is the position, it is the, 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 the situation of your heart reflected on your face. Do you remember I said that? You remember I said that? I hope you understood it. So, what I am saying now is that the only way you could break out from the event and effects of this season is that the disposition of your heart will be that which loves righteousness and hates iniquity. In that way, the countenance of your face will reflect that love for righteousness and hatred for iniquity. Anything that encounters your face at face value, immediately, you will show that hatred for it. And there must be a way to avoid it. Anything outside this, you can't prevail in this enzyme. I looked at that situation. Immediately Jesus finished speaking, the end started. He started that moment. So, when, you, when he was saying nations rise against nations, and you were thinking, no, 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 no. The moment he finished talking to them, he began. So, if we are to follow it, we will start from where we are now and keep moving. It was so clear. They came together, elected him, and pointed Christ to be crucified. The world will not understand the evil that lies in the womb of the end until it begins to unfold. But it will be good as a child of God to have an understanding. Jesus also began to say that anything that concerns the end, for you to escape it, you must begin to have, first of all, what? Someone say understanding. I can't hear you. Someone say understanding. Because where we read, he said, when you begin to see these things, the abomination that causes what? Desolation. As was spoken by prophet who? Daniel. Let the reader do what? So, the first thing you must do is understand it. How do you now get understanding? It is to go and study God and the things he did in the past. Know what happened and get the principle out of it. But the sons of Issachar, they did what? They are men who had what? Understanding of the times and knew what what? What who? Israel ought to do. 200 chiefs of them and all their brethren were at their command. Oh, there is a battle that is speaking. And so, it was surprising to me that the, the Jews who decided to crucify, I mean, to, to elect this criminal and, and, and condemn this righteous man, they had no idea of the immediate or direct gain or losses of the incident that, 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 that they, they, they put their hands into. They didn't know what they would benefit. They didn't know what they were going to lose. They were just running. They were not thinking. They were just running by manipulation. They were just being manipulated into an action that had an eternal significance. And by the time they were being used to work out an eternal significance, they didn't even know whether it was positive benefit or negative benefit. They were just rented 
crowd instruments used. Now, that's the worst position to be as a Christian. Are you listening to me? Hello? Are you listening to me? That's the worst position to be as a, child, as a Christian. That you don't know the, the implication of your action. Something is happening around you. you. You can't really say this has such and such implication and such and such implication. And so you just go headlong and just, 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 just let's just do it. That's the worst case scenario of any child of God. Everybody is talking about the problem of evil, the problem of evil, the problem of pain, the problem of pain on earth. But the Holy Spirit sat me down and said, why are people so, conver- so conversant and interested about the pain, the problem of pain and evil that has, that has shaped our religion, that has shaped our messages, that has shaped our prayer ministries, that has shaped our crusades, is the problem of evil. Am I right? Am I right? Yes. Each time we gather, we are praying for breakthrough. Is it not because of the problem of evil? We are praying for employment. We want to, you want to get healed. You are trusting the Lord for sevenfold increase. If I had started prophesying increase now, I know you won't be sitting like this. Some of you will be jumping up to receive it. Am I right? You will jump to receive it. Yes. Because it has formed our notions, our dispositions, and our way of thinking. The nature of evil. Everybody seems to be to be uncomfortable. The normal natural tendency is that everybody seems to flow towards pleasure. So anything that is comfortable and pleasurable becomes a natural attraction of everybody. Do you agree with me now? Yes. Yes. If it was not a natural attraction, this, this church won't have a ceiling. And you won't have a plastic seat. We'll put blocks. Blocks. And a lot of us will sit on blocks. Will you like it? Will you like it? And so we won't even have fans. Sometimes it will be necessary that we close this window and put ACs. I think it will be better if we start having AC. Right? So what does that tell you? The natural man wants comfort. Every one of you, including me talking to you, all of us want what? Comfort. But the Holy Spirit began to tell me again that one of the greatest destructive tools of the devil in the last day is the is not the problem of pain but the problem of pleasure? Did you hear what I said? Now, it's not going to be the problem of pain. Actually, pain works out purpose, but pleasure destroys purpose. And so the Holy Spirit told me, stop paying too much attention on the problems of pain. Allow pain to do its normal work in your life. Let it work out the man you ought to be. Are you listening to me this evening? Are you understanding me? But pleasure, be careful with it. That's what the Holy Spirit told me. He warned me, he said, pleasure, be careful with it. For either way, any way you come at pleasure, you will pay expensively. Hello? Hello? If it is legitimate pleasure, you will pay before you have it. If it is illegitimate pleasure, you will pay after you've had it. Pleasure. Any way, anyhow you come at pleasure, you pay. People don't even know. One dangerous thing about pleasure is that it's costlier than pain. Are you aware of that? Pleasure. More costly than pain. Pleasure. More expensive to build than pain. To foster destruction is not difficult. 
legitimate pleasure to buy yourself a car. You pay before you get it. Illegitimate pleasure is to go and steal a car. You pay after you've gotten it. <laughs> Do you understand what I said now? Because when you steal and you are caught, then you still pay. It's the price for the pleasure you, 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 you looked for. I was called to visit a friend. We started fellowship together at the, in the youth fellowship in Kaduna, where I was born. I grew up in the north. We faced the crisis together. As I'm giving the testimony of how God saved my life from the sharp knives of Islamic violence, having come very close to my own neck, and somehow God helped me and I was alive. She is also giving the testimonies of how God saved her too. I can remember an occasion where all my childhood friends were burnt to ashes. Faithful Friday afternoon. I was in the same bus and the riots had started. It was war in Kaduna. And you hear them talk. These were the, these were the realities of Christ in me that has brought me to certain, certain convictions about my present world. They spoke in their language. These are the children of Christians. Catch them and kill all of them. And I heard it. And I said, what are they saying? To kill us? Uh, is it for real? And in that bus, they closed it and set it up on fire. We were burning. My classmates, Siva Benazra Primary School, Kawo Kaduna, everybody got burnt. All my friends, Chibuzo, Linda, everybody, I can remember them as I'm speaking to you, burnt to ashes. I was saved by the miraculous hand of the Lord. It was a horrible story. I cannot forget it till the end of my life. I can't forget. And so I traveled to Abuja for a meeting. And I was told by a friend that my sister is sick. That's one of our sisters in fellowship. And that it would be nice that if I can give, if I can visit her, that will be the greatest surprise of her life and she will be grateful for it because for years we've not seen. I mean, so much had the Lord done with us in those our growing years that we are grateful for such exposure. We are grateful. I'm talking about pleasure. The price for pleasure is so expensive. So much has God done around us that we were excited. Every one of us that grew under that situation, I know that many of us are still standing strong, not just in the faith, but being confrontational for the kingdom of God and advancing the kingdom wherever we find ourselves. Because what produced Christ out of us were the near-death experiences of pain. I could see women slaughtered in pregnancy, killed, and the, and the fetus spilled out and starved. And they were chanting their evil songs, Allah, Akbar, Allah, Akbar. And everything was going on. The whole street was violent. And I was running in the midst of battle with blood spilled all over my body. It wasn't once, it wasn't twice, 
It was a way of life. And I decided with my friends that we were going to leave Abuja that afternoon and go to Kaduna. And when I came in, when we came to that place, the woman that was with me in the car said, prepare, prepare yourself, you are going to meet an awful sight that you may not like. And when I went in there, I saw my sister. It's a bag of bones. Bag of bones with tortured skins all over there. She's dying of AIDS. With all kinds of things to help her. And I went close. She could, she could, she could hardly talk. And when I came close, my heart failed. I couldn't hold my spirits. I was only trying not to scream in tears and cry. I was containing the pain in my heart. The irony of the matter was that there was another young man, another young man standing there who was weeping bitterly when I came in because he also, did, he also know me. They couldn't believe that of all persons that they would see in that room that afternoon is Reverend Moses. It's been so long we saw. And the man was just weeping when I came in. And it was recently I found out what was going on. And she said that it was just one careless nightstand. Just one careless night. And there was the man that gave her the aids, standing and also weeping. He has come to know Jesus Christ, and he's still begging to see if God can have mercy. I said, well, there's no need. So when I, when I touched my sister, and she raised her hands, and she was really quaking and shivering. I held her, and she looked at me and smiled. Tried to talk, she couldn't talk. So she, she, she made some guttural sounds, and... <laughs> When I looked at her, she picked up her scriptures and showed me. She just did her Bible this way. Touched the scriptures and touched her heart. And I said, Jesus in your heart. She nodded. And she smiled. And I turned to my friend and I said, how marvelous it is that in such darkness, of the soul that the light of Christ can still shine in a man's heart. Just one moment of pleasure. She got it. But it was an illegitimate pleasure. So she had to pay after it. And I couldn't understand what was going on. When you fail to understand the implication of your current action, especially in the framework of prophecy, that's the worst position to be as a Christian. For every action and every decision you will make, 
and take. In this 21st century and in this end time, you should know the implication and the consequences. So that you don't just live your life and say, well, it can just come and go. And so there is nothing much about it. It is not so. This man didn't know what the significance and consequence of the decision would be. But it was going to mark the end of their own lives and on their own, of their own nation. And they were instrumental in kickstarting the events that will ultimately bring their own world crashing. They were instrumental in kickstarting an event that was going to bring their own world crashing down. Is that not what I see in many youths today? You consciously, consciously, whether unbelieving or uncommitted, I can't tell, but you, are con- you consciously kickstart an issue, an event, that will bring your own life and your own world crashing down. You fail to remember that for every action and decision you make, there's a consequence. That these are the things that will mark the end. The persecution moved on. And they rejected the Lord of the church. And because they rejected the Lord of the church, nature abhors vacuum. They enthroned Satan. Because from that moment, evil started growing. Evil started growing from that moment. They went on after crucifying him. It wasn't long. A heavy persecution broke out against the church. This is what all all of us knew. The persecution was so intense that the, the, the power and the government as at that time said that they would never give Christianity any room to survive. No room for survival was left. In Acts of the Apostles in chapter 12, Few, few, few weeks after Jesus' departure, the persecution had already broken out and it's become so strong that in Acts of the Apostles chapter 12, Herod had, Agrippa had arrested James, the brother of John. And the Bible said that the Jews celebrated it. He arrested James and slaughtered him with a sword. The Jews celebrated it. Herod is not a Roman soldier. Herod is the, is the Jewish representative of the Roman government. Are you understanding what I'm saying now? The Romanians are the pilots. Are you understand what I'm saying now? So, Herod is the Jewish representative. It's like a colonial system. So, when you colonize the people, you bring from among them and set up a king under your government. So, that was Herod. So, it was his own person. I mean, their own people with the Jews that arrested their own fellow brethren and slaughtered. And the people celebrated it. And a terrible, wicked, and perverse generation. Oh yes, why wouldn't they celebrate it? When the righteousness of these brethren were becoming a clear, a clear judgment for their iniquity. One thing this present world hates to see is a righteous man. Hello? One thing they don't want to see our society is a born again Christian. Your, your, your spirituality and the virtue of your life is already a torment to the sinful nature of their hearts. If you don't know that, understand it. So they, 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 don't, they don't want to see it. The Bible said that they arrested him, slaughtered him. The Jews were happy and they celebrated. 
And the Bible said he went on to, to apprehend who now? Who? Peter. He went on to apprehend Peter. But thank God that the church did not helplessly resign to faith and say, well, that's how it's going to be. And there is no, 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 no. Bible said that the brethren they woke up and began to pray storming prayers, storming prayers. And so I also found out that it is one of the things that we see today. Jesus warned his disciples in Matthew chapter ten and in verse thirty-six that a man's enemies shall be those of his own household. When he was telling his disciples, they didn't understand. A man's enemies shall be those of his own household. It happened in his time that it was the same Jews, the same brethren, started killing themselves and, and I mean, make, taking reports of, 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 the, of, of the Christian Jews to crucify them and kill them. And that's the kind of thing you see today. A man's enemy will come from his own household. Can I ask a question? Has it not been clearly known? Has it not been clearly known that some of the great some of the greatest destruction that we see in the body of Christ is coming again from within the body of Christ? Many youths today are defiled in all kinds of immoral relationships, still from within the same body of Christ. It's happening in all, in all organs of the church. It's there at the youth fellowship. It's there in the prayer group. It's there in choir. It's there in band group. I mean, you see the devil from within the same household. He's rising to become the greatest enemy to your faith. He's destroying you. These are the signs of the end. They are the things you should understand before we begin to talk about how to endure them. Are you understanding what I'm doing? So, we need to know what is the end that Jesus was talking about. So, from this, from what I've been teaching so far, the end is not the eschatological events going on. It's one of the ends. I told you it's talos and it means three ends. What did the end I'm dealing with now are the factual ends which are going on around you right now. As we're talking about it. It was a clear thing. They began to play storming prayers. They didn't resign to faith. Many Christians today have chosen to resign to faith even when they see the devil wrecking havoc both in your life, in the house of God, and in the system. They've chosen to resign to faith. The apostles began to pray storming prayers. I mean, prayers that were violent. Storming prayers. And you look at yourself as a, as a youth, as a growing child of God, one that will become godly generation. And you can't even pray. In this end time, it will take men, young men and women, whose lives are consumed in the place of prayer. No matter how well read you are, no matter how deeply, I mean, deeply influential you've become, there is one factor that must remain constantly operational in your life. And that is a deep relationship with Christ in the place of prayer. Without it, you cannot break the system of this entire. It's taking everybody. 
like a wind, a wild wind, and the storm is moving. People are making decisions for which they know, they, they know nothing about the implication. People are caught into the fulfillment of prophecy for which they don't even know the trend. People are ignorantly moved into fulfilling, this, fulfilling negative prophecies and they don't even know the consequence of what they're about fulfilling. People do things and they have no spiritual knowledge to really analyze and back up their actions and activities. And everything society offers you, you accept. You, don't, you can't even define what is spiritual and what is not. Anything they give you, you accept. They have given us what is called entertainment. And people pay for filth. I mean, I told my wife, I said, what is wrong with our generation? People pay for filth. And they call it entertainment. I mean, you pay for your children to be destroyed. You paid for it. You pay for your house, your marriages to break up. You paid. The televisions are there. I'm not condemning it. You should have as many as possible. It's good. The systems are there in your hands. Am I right? You paid for the data and you have the internet. Am I right? Didn't you pay for it? You paid for it. You paid for the DSTV subscription so that they will show you everything that will bombard your, your, your imagination such that it, becomes, it comes under great assault. You can't control it because the bombardment is so regular. Or aren't you seeing it? You are not talking. Can't you see what I'm saying? Is it not clear? Mind games in the world of medias and images. They are just playing mind games on us. And they are going through the back door of our imaginations. And entering into your heart. And changing the principles of God. And gradually your culture is changing. You are adjusting in culture. Unconsciously you are changing. Yet you are the one who paid to get it. That's the grand deception and the grand delusion of the age. The same thing happened in the past. Are you listening to me this evening? I read about a Nollywood star who was among the great actors that put together Jurassic Park. And he said that he would not have his children go and watch Jurassic Park. You know what's Jurassic Park? Some of you don't know. Okay, fine. But if you don't know, don't worry. You know. That he wouldn't let his children go to watch Jurassic Park. And I'm wondering, you protect your own children from Jurassic Park, but Jurassic Park is all over the world. And children are watching. So, how could you protect your children from... How? Oh my God. Are you listening to what I'm saying this evening? I read about the account of Liz Benson. And she says something. That she, would, that she wouldn't allow her own child to be one of the Nollywood actors based on her experiences there. But every day they are, they are advertising talent hunts and taking other people's children to come and act. You have acted and you have seen how decayed the system is. And you are not saying that you won't let any of your child to come into it. But the industry is advertising, I mean, sumptuously and making it clear that there are great rewards for youth to, to come and act. So, what is the system telling us? There's a conspiracy. Someone say conspiracy. I can't hear you. Someone say conspiracy. It's a conspiracy somewhere. There's a conspiracy somewhere. And nobody is telling us the truth. Nobody is telling you the truth. And so you go headlong. You go headlong and fall into it. And get destroyed. 
But even the devil knows that these are the conspiracies of the end of the age. And he has perfectly, cons- I mean, he has perfectly structured it so that within your own household, the greatest enemy of a man is in his household. Am I, am I right? Member of his own house. Your greatest enemy. When you go home today, go and look for your greatest enemies. They are within your house. One of them is in your hand now. It's his cell phone. Are you understand what I'm saying now? You are not listening. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying now? It's there in your hands. One of them is in your hands. It's the internet. Another one is there. It's your DSTV. All of them are there. The greatest enemy of a man is going to come from where? Stop looking outside. The things destroying you, they are all around you. They are just there. You need, you need to take time and look at them again. Look at my friend. Say, take time and look at them again. That was how it happened in ancient times. It was within the same, it was within the same family. The same household. That was, where, that was where the destruction rose. So the devil has, the devil has tried to design the destruction and bring it into your household. And he, and he runs there. The persecution for the church was great. Evil prevailed because because those, I mean, those, those who could confront it were silent. And so it was, it was just prevailing. The crisis with which the church saw in the first century was so clear that at that time, everybody knew that, that it looked like Christianity would not survive. The Roman church didn't, didn't restrict anybody from worshipping anything. What was the Roman problem as at the time of Christ and the disciple was nobody should come to challenge our organized government. You understand what I'm saying? The organized government was their interest. You can worship anything you care to worship or want to worship. But when it comes to the emperor and his laws, just do it. That was why one of them came to Jesus. Seeing that you want, you are now a messiah, you are, you are raising a people. He brought coin. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? And it, it looks like he's asking a reasonable question. That was a foolish question. How can you be asking a question that you know the answer? Is it not foolish? Is it not a foolish thing? It is. Sometimes when you ask questions and the answers are obvious that you know them, don't ask it. Otherwise, you'll get some funny answers also. Somebody baited, took time, baited, prepared, took his bag. I was about to go. It was raining. And, and, and somebody, are you going out in this rain? He's already set, prepared with bag, an umbrella in hand. And you ask him, are you going out in this rain? No, he's in the next one. It's not in this one. Why are you asking this? You saw the task. You saw the coin. The law is paid tax. You came to his we paid taxes to Caesar. And they just wanted to know what Jesus was saying. If I were Christ, I would have answered him well. No, don't pay. Go and pay to blind Bartimaeus. When they punish you, when the Roman government deal with you, then you know that you should pay tax to Caesar. But Jesus is a loving God. I mean, he's so merciful. In everything, whether good or bad, he still wants to teach the way to Christ. He still wants to teach the way to God. He still wants to reconcile man to God. Because that was his mission. He was so focused on his mission that any nonsense that came around him he turned it to achieve his mission. 
The same question which you would have ignored and you would have thrown away. You just told him, well, bring the coin. Let me see. He brought the coin. He said, whose face is on it? He says, Caesar's. And I told him, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And he added something again. And give to God what belongs to I preached that message five years ago in your neck. Give me your, three years ago in your neck. Give me your body. And that was, the, that was the major place I used for that message. He said to him, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give to God what belongs to what? To God. If that man was reasonable, if he was reasonable and asking a question, you know he should have asked the next question. You know he would have asked a very important question. What belongs to God? But he didn't. That was what I was teaching three years ago. He didn't ask. And if he has asked that question, what belongs to God? Jesus will now ask him, whose image is on you? And then the man will say, God. Then he will now say, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar because his image is on you. Then give yourself to God because you belong to God. Why? His image is on, on you. That was what Jesus was trying to teach the man. But immediately he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And to God, what belongs to God, the man just threw the coin and went away. He didn't even understand the answer, but he left. That is how people ignore truth. Still in the journey of Jesus' crucifixion, Pilate asked him, are you a king? I heard you have a kingdom. And you are even a king. And Jesus said, for this cause I came. It is for this mission I came. In the book of Mark, and he told him, my kingdom is not of this world. And everyone that is on the side of truth listens to me. Anyone on the side of truth listens to me. The scripture was so poignant and so clear that, that Pilate turned to him and asked him, what is truth? I became excited that Pilate is about to get into the reality of the matter. The Bible said, but Pilate turned and went away. He didn't wait for the answer. He asked the most important question of the ages. But he didn't wait to get the answer. He just asked him, what is truth? And walked away. That's how many people are. Are you understanding what I'm trying to say? Jesus sparked up an issue that will save him. Provoked a situation that will save him. And everybody on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus was waiting. He knew that he would want to know what that truth is. So that he would not give him the truth. Pilate said, what is truth? But eventually he turned and left. And up till today, it has remained the greatest mystery of what is missing in our society. Truth. What has died in the world is not economy. It's not science. What has died in society is not development. It's not technology. As a matter of fact, what has died is truth. Truth has died. And so because truth has died, everything is dying the death of a thousand qualifications in the process. Because truth has died, every other thing is dying the death of a thousand qualifications in the process. That is to say, for anything that is to be explained, there is more than ten explanations for it. Because when you are saying that this is evil, another person is saying, well, for me, it may not be evil. For you, it is evil. But for me, it's not bad. So, we no longer have standards. Truth has died. 
So no more standards. Preach a message today, everybody will see it from different perspectives. Talk about holiness and righteousness, people, I mean, it will be described from different points of view. No more standards. And so the church is confused. That's the end we are talking about. The persecution became so great. It didn't stop there. The Jews were growing. The persecution scattered them. But the gospel of Jesus Christ was advanced. Many of them who were instruments in the hand of, of, of the Roman Empire to destroy the, to destroy the Jews were the same Jews. They were informing the government. I mean, one of my sons of the Lord came and said, Daddy, do you know what's going on now? That it has become like it, it, that it is not just an issue. It has become like a cancer in the whole university. And he brought a faculty for me in the University of Nigeria and said that nearly 70% of the people in that faculty, the victimization of, of ladies in immorality by lecturers and staffs have become a normal tradition. And what I'm telling you is not in news. It's reality. And one of the lecturers walked up to me one of those days. And he said, man of God, I'm sick. He came to our meeting. He came to look for a miracle. And then I asked him, now I'm standing with you. My heart is troubled. Deep down within my spirit, I feel so troubled. That you are not also innocent of this virus that, has, that is spreading in your faculty. And he opened up. He began to tell me how bad and how far he has gone with destroying people's daughters. And I said, you with your wife and how many children you've done this much? And he was saying that if that will be the condition for getting the healing, let the man of God, anointed man of God pray. If I will confess this and you pray, I get healed. Let me get. So what was important to him is the healing that he came to look for. Miracle has become more important than the mercy of God. And people can live any life and come to God to seek for miracle. We are dealing with the issue. He that can endure to the end. I'm just trying to open up the end. The word end there. That's what we're trying to do with this. Before we come to enduring this system, I want you to see the system. And I don't just want to talk about the contemporary things. I want to come from scripture. It was so great. It was so great that by the time the system against the church had become intensified, the brethren found out that many who were among their brethren were not spiritually converted. They were just members of the same household, but were not spiritually converted. And as long as a man is not converted and you are in this fellowship, it is going to be unfortunate that you might become the enemy's most dangerous instrument within the household. As long as you are seated here unconverted, then hear me. It is unfortunate that you might become one of the enemy, one of the, the, the enemy's worst instruments within the same household in order to fulfill this same trend that was fulfilled decades and millennia ago. 
And each time we talk about conversion, people begin to wonder, how possible will that be? Can the power of God save a wretched sinner? Can it break the yoke of iniquity? Can it, can it, can it take away the guilt and break the power? Yes, it can. It can. For he encountered my life in dimensions that I know that his grace can do all things. We have not come down to begin to talk about the kind of deceivers that Jesus talked about. False teachers that will rise. It began to happen soon after his death. In the, in the, in the trend of the church, false teachers started rising. The persecution went so bad that the first set of people that came together to become the church died. By the time, by, 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 AD, by AD 67, AD 70, many of the disciples were dead. And you knew how each of them died. And then, there rose many notable leaders and authorities that began to fulfill these things that Jesus Christ said. It is worthy to note that some of them rose and became a great threat to the church. Let's talk about, let's, let me use three minutes and so, let me use five minutes and summarize concerning the, 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 the historic men that really dealt with the church from those empires. Some of them like, like, like Gaius. Some of them like, 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 like Caligula. Nero. You can, you, you will remember them. Titus. These were emperors that lived at that time. Vasperan. How did they live their life? There were Emperor Julian the one, Emperor Julian too. These were heavy men that dealt with the, with, the, with the church. But during their time, God was speaking in a very clear dimension for the people of God to understand. And the messages that we received in those history can reflect in the end time church and what God is doing now. These emperors were the people that set up, they set up what is called emperor worship. You worship man. Because they had conquered nations and had conquered people. They had become too mighty that in themselves the pride of conquest and glory became too much that they began to feel that they were God and demanded worship, all kinds of worship and respect. And the church gradually drifted and started worshiping men. I mean, they sit down and they are treated in high worship. That you may not understand. That today, today's church is worshipping man and not Christ. I have a lot of reasons to tell you that. We worship man, worship men, worship money, worship position. I am, I am waiting, I am praying to see a, I am waiting, I am praying to see a time, a time that will come upon us as a church, that will be gathering as a church, worshipping. And the president or the governor of this state will walk into the church and service continues like nobody came in. I am not saying it out of content for him. I'm saying it because God is the head of the church and he should be the one to be respected. If you come, just go and look for seat and sit down. When it is time, if, we, if you are recognized, fine. If you are not, it is the house of your father. Do you come back home in your own father's house and you are waiting for somebody to welcome you specially and recognize you? Do you do that? But that's the, that's the destruction that has come upon the church. It went on, and as Christians tried to resist it, the Jews accepted it. 
It became part of their worship system. And as they tried to resist it, one of the emperors, who was very, very austere, very austere, demanded one of the oldest Jewish priests to go and take a swine, pig, and sacrifice it on the Jewish altar in order to desecrate the altar. That was a direct fulfillment of Jesus' statement. When you see abomination that causes desolation standing on the holy place, you know, Jesus was quoting from Daniel chapter 11. Hello? Daniel 11, 31 and 32. That was where Jesus And Jesus said, in that Daniel chapter 11, verse 31 and 32, we'll round up by that. Jesus said that they will desecrate the sanctuary. That was what Daniel was prophesying. That there will be a desecration of the sanctuary. And it is not only that they will abolish the holy sacrifices. Then they will set up abomination and desolation in the holy place. So Jesus repeated it. In this same verse where we read that it was going to happen. And it was not something that and it happened in their time. Soon after his departure, they demanded that swine be sacrificed on the, in the Jewish temple. The Christians revolted. It is not only that sacrifice should not be done in that place. Pig was one thing they don't even, I mean, in their own law, it was evil. And he mandated them that swine should be sacrificed. The high priest for him to do that evil in church, submitted his body to be killed. And he told the man, instead of me to sacrifice this swine, please have my head. Kill me. Just, just kill me. And when the emperor wanted to torment him and insisted, I am not going to kill you. You must do the sacrifice. The man went into the wilderness. He just left the city and banished himself to the deserts. That was how resilient he was not ready to yield to evil. But how resilient are you in the face of evil? He wasn't ready. He said, I can't do it. Please, have my head. Kill me. It is better you slaughter me now than tell me to do this. I will be happy to die. Take, please, kill. He said, no, I don't want to kill you. You must do it. Went in and told the brethren who were hiding in the wilderness. They couldn't hide anymore. They said, no, this has become too much. Let's come back to the city and all be killed. And they gathered together. Many Jews who were Christians by then, and apostles and disciples, they came back. And in the process, one of the boys, the young, the youth there, one of the his name was Judas, son of that high priest. He's called Makeba, which means hammer. Because of the courage and strength he had. He decided that he would lead a revolt against that emperor, Antiochus Epiphanius. If you read Daily Guide today, if you read Daily Guide this morning, incidentally, the story is there. Did you see it? If you read it, it's just there. It was a summary of this story. It's a summary. I, I was like, oh, wonderful. What a, what a wonderful coincidence. Was just there. Even though it was not in details, they just gave you a summary of it. Antiochus Epiphanius, he insisted. And when Judas, the Maccabees, came, which is called the Maccabean Revolt, they gathered and led the revolt. They went physically to confront this emperor and his people. And God came in the midst of the battle and discomfited the emperor. Scattered his kingdom and they fell. And that became the most notable revolt of God's people against wickedness. And the people of God gained freedom of worship. And evil, one more time, died for a season. 
because somebody rose and he voted. That was why Daniel prophesied. That was a direct fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. That when this evil that causes the solution will stand in the holy place, they that read will understand. Then Daniel went on in verse 33. I mean verse 32 and said, But they that know their God shall be strong and do what? Right. That prophecy was fulfilled in the life of that young man, Judas. In terms of the first talos, which I'm still trying to explain. We've not even gotten to the fall of the church. But this was what culminated eventually to the fall of the church. But how did the church fall? Prior to the fall of the church, God gave the people, the Christians, few hours, few days to escape. Because when they came to besiege Jerusalem and destroy it, Titus sent some of his troops to go and check the city. That he heard that Christians advancing. And when he came, he saw some Christians marching around, you know, the temples praying. And, and so, so the, the advancement was real. And so they couldn't wage a war. They went back. Nero died. And because they waited to, to get some formalities ready, God revealed to them to elope, to leave the city. And they ran to the province called Pella. And rested there. It's in scripture. Jesus said, when this thing happened, let they depart to the mountains. That's where they got. They went physically. With that interval, they escaped. In the day they left, destruction came to Jerusalem. Titus sent a detachment of soldiers. Armed to the teeth. They Everything that was structured and building, they were destroyed. People slaughtered. But none of the Christians died. They survived it. That was why scripture said. And Jesus told them, that as long as they will stand in this faith, that they will be saved. And in that, in that fulfillment, they were actually saved. In the presence of the highest persecution that the world has ever known, God saved his people. Now, let me tell you something. If it happened in their time, it will happen in our time. Are you listening to me this night? If God could save them then, then hear me, he can also save you now. Are you understanding me? Rise upon your feet. I just want to make something very clear to you. Unless you are spiritually converted, you're born again. If you're already under the influence of of the culture of the present of this 21st century, I'd like you to know there is no way out. Except that the reality of Jesus Christ is manifested in your mortal body. If you are here and you are struggling, struggling, struggling just to live right, every moment in your life, just like what I said in the book of Romans, chapter 7 and verse 14. The good thing you want to do, you can't even do. It is the evil which you hate to do that you see yourself do. Then lay your hand upon your chest. You need to ask Jesus to come back again and your life. Wherever you are. And you must be serious and sincere about it. And you can't keep answering altar calls every day and every season and every month. But if you are here 
and you found out that iniquity has been found within your members. It is. You are not living. You are not living that life that is clear. It is a departure of scripture. Place your hand upon your chest and begin to pray. I think you need to repent of your sins. Look at your heart. What exactly do you love? The sign for deliverance as recorded in scripture was very simple. For thou lovest righteousness and hate iniquity. Think about your life. What really do you love? Iniquity has been found everywhere in our, in, around us. Do you seem to have some attachment to it? Do you still desire it? I'm not talking about as much as becoming, as much as practicing it. I'm talking about just the desire of it. Then, there is need for an encounter. Call Jesus. And make your life a submissive one to him. Lay your hand upon your chest and pray. And every other person, lift up your voice and pray. Talk to God this evening. I don't know what you've understood. But it is clear that the end which Jesus spoke about started immediately after he, he, he finished the prophecy. It started immediately after he finished speaking. And those end began to manifest in clear terms of hypocrisy. Living a false life outside and then going in to become so destructive on the kingdom of God and upon Christ himself. Is that the nature of your own life? Then lay your hand upon your chest and begin to ask God for forgiveness. For Pilate came before the public and washed his hands in innocence. Are you like Pilate who has washed, you know, you know you've washed your hands in innocence in the church and by the way you appear in church, it's, it is clear that you are now the innocent one. But you went into the house and signed his death warrant to destroy him. Is your life like that of Pilate? They need to ask Jesus and repent of it and ask Jesus coming to you. As you lay your hand on your chest, say these words after me. Say it clearly. Say, Jesus, I again consecrate my life unto thee. I again consecrate my life to thee. Restore me. Restore me into that same covenant for which you shed your blood. Save me from the destruction of this age. Deliver my heart from the iniquity of our time. I don't want to be an ugly fulfillment of prophecy. Help me to understand the end that we are in. Help me to understand the end that we are in. This evening, as I consecrate my life to thee, 
Release your grace upon me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Wherever you are, I want you to pray one more prayer. Jesus Christ warned us and said that the greatest enemy of a man will come from within his own household. Can you lift up your voice and say, Father, open my eyes to see those things around me that are destroying my life. Everybody pray. Our Father, we thank you and we worship you, Lord. We give you praise this evening. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. Thank you because our eyes have been opened. Lord, we pray this evening, O God, but adventure, O God, there are some of our brethren, Heavenly Father, still struggling, O God, in sin. Baba Lord will ask that, Lord, your mighty hands of deliverance come upon us, O God, to bring forth perfect and complete deliverance in the name of Jesus. Set your children free. May they experience, O God, liberty, your spirit to live in righteousness. That we all, O God, shall be on the right side of prophecy. In the name of Jesus. Shall we just pray for the servants of God? Ask the Lord to endure him, to strengthen him, to fill him the more for tomorrow. The program continues tomorrow. Ask the Lord to refresh him, refresh the oil. So that he will be loaded, he will, he, he will receive more revelations for us even tomorrow. Our Father, we thank you for your son and your servant. Lord, we lift him up in your hands. We ask that, Lord, you will fill him and refresh him. Strengthen him, O God. And cause that in his ministry, the Father, he will remain on the right side. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord Jesus a big round of applause. Praise the Lord. Amen.